<laughs> wow. I'm always ready. <laughs> I stir with my finger. <laughs> don't, stir, don't stir that coffee with your finger. It's, it's scalding hot. It's also extremely, extremely dark. Tim, I'm a coffee master. That's what I do. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. Uh, we are back from a, about a week and a half break. We have the full crew in today. I'm joined here with Jordan Renault and Rob McMichael. And also, Rob, who do we have in studio today? Uh, we have Elijah McMichael. His wow. first time on the podcast. Wow, what a pro. How old is he? Oh, he is the tender age of six months. Oh, my goodness. So if you guys hear rattling, crying, laughing in the background like that. There will be no crying. (laughs) That's who it is. So Elijah is joining us on the podcast. I want to hop right into, I mean, first off, it was a week and a half break for me. just felt weird. I had so so many things I wanted to talk about, but I had no outlet for it. So it feels good to be back because I have... Man, do I have a, a ton of stuff that I want to get yeah, to. So. We are your only friends. That's true. Just you three and all five of our listeners. And so, he, he only talks to us when on air. That's also that true. That is also true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start, guys, with this <laughs> this coffee that I made because I don't think I made it right. <laughs> so let's just start right there. We'll find out. This is Starbucks French Roast, which we all know is a very dark roast. I poured a bunch into the coffee filter, and I did about, I think, six cups. So this stuff is really dark. So this is this is Let my first. Let me just first... give you some perspective. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. This is Starbucks French roast, which is brewed so dark they have to add oil to it to keep it from burning during the <laughs> roasting process. So it's the kind of coffee you really don't want to like use too much of when you're making coffee. Like you kind of want to measure it out. I, I I used the force. All right, I just felt it. The force. It felt right. Now, Jordan, you ah, are you are a certified coffee master. I am. So, so you know what you're talking about here. So, whatever bit. whatever you taste in this cup, I all want right. just like your gut reactions. All right. All right. On the count of three, guys. Here we, here go. we go. One, two, three. <laughs> oh my! Honestly, that's not that much darker than French roast normally tastes. No, but that is. But it does taste dark. like cigarettes and tar no that's a good combo wow that's like it's about as black as oil it's just it is dark that coffee wow i actually might make the rest of the bag and pour it into my car (laughs) (laughs) for a second second, all i was envisioning was like him pouring it in the front seat i was like why would you do that that's the worst idea you can't do that while i'm drinking okay i'm drinking the coffee um well you know it's not it, it could be a lot worse but it's still pretty bad. So I could have maybe brewed it with like Folgers coffee at that strength level. And then at that point, you're just getting pure burnt taste in your mouth. But this is still pretty dark. In fact, it's so dark, I might I might debate putting some creamer in my coffee and, and adulterating it. But I'm not there yet. We so need we'll Joe see. on to do his uh, middle-aged smoker. Yeah, yeah. Woman voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I great. poured my creamer in and it just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Stir it. Okay. It's not it didn't change any it's color. It's like slightly oh my lighter. Um guys, how was your holiday? I mean, how was your Christmas? Oh, Elijah <laughs> thinks he had a great Christmas, so Oh, mine was good. Okay. Mine was good with family. No one traveled far to be with us 
Well, you, well, you have family coming. all over yeah. the place. They're all coming in January or February for my mom's birthday. Okay. Um, how about you, Rob? How was your Christmas? It was very busy. Traveling down to my uh, brother's house, going to my in-laws, going to my sister-in-laws. Let's talk about gifts, all right? Because every, every holiday, everyone always gets a gift. Man, Elijah loves his gifts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rob, he's... you did a great job. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, the, I mean, he knows that obviously it's Santa Claus who gives him the gifts, right? It's definitely not you at all. Absolutely. Okay, good, good. I'm glad that you lied to your children. I think it's a great start mm-hmm. to a, a healthy uh, father-son relationship. So. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so I had, I had a very good Christmas as well. I have a huge family, a lot of people, a lot of cousins. I even had the chance to dress up. As Santa Claus, which oh yeah, I saw that, which was awesome. I couldn't tell it was you. Uh, really? No. Well, I assumed it was you. Right, it was. But, as I looked at the well, picture, I have such a huge beard, so I had yeah. to hide it with a white beard. So that was difficult. Right. So I had to wear like the suit. You know, I had, my tattoo was showing. I had to cover that up. But it was a lot of fun because I have a lot of like little cousins who are, you know, 10, 11, 12 years right. old. So being Santa Claus was a lot of fun. But I do want to share. I have two holiday stories that I want to share with you guys. I'll share my uh, – I think I'm, I'm going to share my, my pre-Christmas gift story first. So for Christmas, Sarah and I, obviously, we're getting married this upcoming year. And so Christmas, we agreed we wouldn't spend a whole lot of money on each other you know, uh, because of, of just budgeting. So I decided to take her out on like little mini dates throughout the Christmas week. Uh, in in um, in tangent, like with her gift as well. So I got her a small gift, and then I took her out um, on Monday night and on Tuesday night as well. So Monday night, I took her to see Star Wars. Which, by the way, I feel like we can share. We can have a whole podcast on like a Star Wars episode. You know, let's Force uh, episode seven. Tell everyone what happened. Okay, let's spoil the whole thing. So, uh, so we took her to see that, and she loved it. Then on on Wednesday night, we went out to our favorite Italian place called Tre Familia. All right. Amazing place, we love it. It's great, great food, but it's like an it's like a more upscale place, you know. So we've been there before. Um, so we I booked a reservation. I surprised her. I took her there. We sit down. It's a real little spot. The room's got to be maybe a twenty by thirty room. They they have a bigger room on the side, but it's a twenty by thirty room, and everything is homemade and it is delicious. So the waiter comes over. He gives us our menu, but he also starts reciting some of the specials for the night. Okay. And um, he's and usually yeah, you guys you guys know me, know me pretty well, but for our listeners out there, I'm not a big like when I have a number in my head of how much money I want to spend on food, that's what I'll spend on it. So if I have in my head thirty right. bucks, I'll spend thirty bucks. But if I have in my head twenty twenty five dollars, that's what I'm going to spend. So he's reading off the specials, which of course they never tell you the price on. But one of them caught my attention. It was a stuffed veal chop, and it was amazing. It was so good, stuffed with with, with uh, prosciutto and provolone cheese, and on a bed of risotto. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? It's Christmas. I'm taking my girl out. I'm gonna spl- I'm gonna splurge tonight. Okay, oh I'm gonna splurge. I don't know how much it costs, but how bad could it be? I'll just tell myself in my head, I have the money. You know, whatever it is, you're gonna pay it. But enjoy the night. You know, enjoy the night. So we get the calamari for an appetizer, and I order that special. I tell the guy, I think his name was Colin. I said, Colin, I'll take that. He goes, great choice. It's the best thing on the menu. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait. So we have our calamari, which is amazing. Um, Sarah gets the the vodka rigatoni, which is also amazing. And out comes. 
my di- my my, uh, my dish, which was humongous. This thing had to be like a 12-ounce chop uh, of veal stuffed. It was thick. It was, no pun intended, it was meaty. You know, like sometimes you get like 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 a cut of like chicken or steak and it's kind of thin or it's like a little right. like you can tell it's like it's like a restaurant portion. This is like you're at home with grandma portion. All right. It's it's a stuffed bone in chop with a great bit of risotto. I cut into that thing. It was delicious. I mean, I, I polished it off. I was sawing off, you know, all the trimmings I could get off the bone, you know. So we get dessert, we get coffee, the bill comes. I'm telling myself, okay, Tim. It was a special. You're probably looking at like 30 bucks for the special. Just be prepared to pay that. So I get the bill, and <laughs> I look at the bill, and the total cost of our bill was $85. All right? Okay. So we did – yeah, which really isn't That's too bad. not that bad. We got appetizer. We got two meals. I was meals. expecting this story to end with like oh, you guys in the well, kitchen doing dishes. Well, we're not there yet. So I get the bill. That's for the calamari, the appetizer uh, – you know, the, uh, the calamari, the, the two meals, the coffee, and dessert. Half of that bill was my special. $42 yeah, was what I paid right. for that special. Dude, I was so blindsided. I was so, I had no clue. I'm thinking 30, 35 bucks. $42 I paid. It was worth it though. It, it's a great once in a while thing. And yeah. I'm not knocking that uh, um, establishment because their food is delicious. I recommend everyone to go there. But man, it was my first like like kind of like wake up call to being an adult. You know, like, hey Tim, now that you order specials, here's what you pay for that special price. You know, so that was my first holiday story. My second one kind of goes in uh, together with this uh, idea of being becoming an adult. So you guys know that Sarah and I are obviously we're getting married uh, next July. What? I know. Surprise. So on Christmas Eve, we're at my aunt's house, um, and my one, my other aunt, I have a lot of aunts and uncles in the family, she comes over to me and Sarah and goes, hey, listen, let me give you guys your gift now before all the, l- the little cousins start opening their gifts and it becomes pandemonium. And usually, you know, aunts and uncles, they give you a card with like, you know, a gift card or some cash, which for me is perfect. That's great. That's what I love. I'm like, that'd be great. Instead, though, she brings out two big boxes. I'm like, whoa, like what? Wow, what is this? I mean, I'm I'm excited now. I'm thinking she thought to get me an actual gift? Like what could it be, you know? So so Sarah gets hers, I get mine. I start unwrapping it. And her name's Rhonda. I'm like, "Aunt Rhonda, thank you so much for this. This is so thoughtful." And I start unwrapping it. I have no clue what it could be. So of course, when you have no clue, you think, "Man, is this going to be like something that that will be captured on Facebook and go viral, you know, kid receives, you know, round trip airplane airfare around the world or something crazy you know you start thinking about like just what it could be so as i'm opening it i look at her and then i look back while i'm saying thanks and i look and it's a salad bowl (laughs) off of our registry i got a salad bowl and it wasn't that it wasn't thoughtful it was so thoughtful i mean i i'm really grateful that she did that that you know that she thought ahead of time to get us that but i was so not ready for that gift to open up the gift for me that was a salad bowl sarah opens up her gift she has the matching bowl set sarah is ecstatic she's like oh my goodness i can't believe it this is amazing she's like crying welcome to your wedding and, yeah and here i am and i'm just like wow you shouldn't have thanks you know? but it was it was one of those moments where i was like well, Tim, you hit it. You hit the big time. You are no longer a child. You're not even a young adult. You are just a, a plain old adult. Yeah. So, I'm going to get you gift cards to Home Goods. <laughs> Why? That's the rest of your life right there. No. <laughs> Rob, is that true? Uh, no, you'll start to get them to Home Depot and Lowe's. 
<laughs> that's what I asked for for Christmas, actually. What Home Depot? And Home Lowe's? Depot gift cards. You know what though? That's I'll tell you what. I don't oh, like getting awesome. tools. That's I love awesome. it. I have some great tools. That I and I want some new ones. I'm, again, I'm 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 looking at myself and I'm saying I'm this. I can't believe this is here. I'm I'm really an adult. Sarah gave me socks for Christmas. I love them. I got socks and I wanted. Yeah, socks. it's not so much that you were getting those gifts, but you were actually appreciating them. Right? Yeah, <laughs> as like, an adult. What? Right? This is right. amazing. Whoa, these socks are amazing. <laughs> and frankly, getting my own salad bowl is kind of cool, but it was just not. It was in the holiday season. I, I just wasn't you can thinking of fill that. It you know, with, like chili or something, or M and M's or something like that. Yeah, so. there you go. Anyway, so the, those are my two holiday stories that I just had to share with all of our listeners and with you guys because they were just they, just moments that I realized like I am such an adult now. I can't believe it. So. I want to share that with you guys. Cool? Cool. Cool. Cool beans. All right. Let's move on to my brand new segment, Christians in the News. Now, also on this, I I told myself this morning I was going to make an awesome jingle for it, but I got hooked on this new Netflix show called um, Making a Murderer. Uh, I saw that. It is. I didn't watch it, but it is so good. You need to watch it. I I blew through five episodes today, and they're an hour each. It's like a documentary, right? Yes, but it's unbelievable. You watched how many episodes? <laughs> Five. Hmm. <laughs> you didn't work today, did you? <laughs> no, I'm off today and tomorrow, which is great. So that I work New nice. Year's Day. Um, but anyway, so I told myself I was going to have a jingle for it, but I just don't have one yet because that show – I even told myself at 2.30, I'm like, okay, Tim, you have an hour to make to make the jingle. But the way that the episode left off, I just had to see what was going to happen. <laughs> so here we are, guys, with no, with no intro. But I want to get into Christians in the News because I haven't <laughs> – once again, Christians never cease to amaze me. Um, this one is is quite the story. This I'm going to I'm going to read the Huffington Post headline here and get your initial reactions to just the headline. Um, I know you guys like to think ahead, but at this point, I just need you to have gut reactions. You ready? All right, here we go. Sixty year. Oh, I already messed it up. Try it again. <clears throat> here we go. 61-year-old pastor marries 19-year-old pregnant girlfriend with his wife's blessing. Go. Way to go, Abraham. <laughs> I feel like you thought that one through. Yeah, I did. Um, he's old. <laughs> that, was my, that was my first thought. How does this happen? <laughs> my, my reaction's not at all like the, uh, not the like... Like age different, right? Yeah, like, or, just or like, the fact that he's married to two women at the same right, time, right? It's just that he's, he's old. old. <laughs> like he, what? Pregnant? That's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yep. This is true. This uh, this story comes out of. Let's see. Where's the area here? Um. Doesn't say actually. What? Utah. Probably Utah. Let me just find a different article real quick. Um. Let's see. That's a little I'm stereotypical, looking. but well, oh, Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. Close. Okay. No, it's not. It's pretty much the same thing as Utah. Whatever, Ohio. So the the article, this is in Huffington Post, uh, kind of sums it up here, uh, pretty much saying that, that um, well, the wife's name is Belinda, and his new wife's name is, let's see, uh, Reba. And Reba says that she has had a crush on Tom since she was 11 years old. Which now is now it's just straight. Which creepy. is is slightly disturbing. It's also yeah. weird that his that 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 Tom's wife is so for this idea. But I, uh, pastor, marrying a nineteen year old, getting her pregnant. Um, also, let's just talk about how how he married a nineteen year old after she was pregnant. So even if you can somehow justify like the polygamy aspect of it, he still was with her intimately before they got married. 
So I don't know how in any sense, in any, in, in any world, he can justify how he could be a pastor who pastor, he, he pastors a church. Like he's a pastor of a church. How he does that while with his wife and now his new wife who is 19 and pregnant. They, they may call themselves the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church. <laughs> that, that would be my gut reaction. I, you know, I, nothing's new under the sun, right? I mean, you see this stuff in, in biblical times. You see yeah. it now. And, but it still just kind of blows me away that there are people out there who will justify it as like a really good thing. I also feel like there's a very heavy air of that like male dominance of kind of like, listen, like this is how it should be and almost kind of like, Manipulation. I can see that happening where yeah. he's kind of manip- manipulating his wife into thinking that this is somehow a good God thing. And she just wants to follow her husband and, you know, quote unquote, submit to him like like we, like we she's been told. Right. And so here we are now in this mess where he kind of gets what he wants. He gets to sleep now with two different people, which is a total guy thing, you know, like that's a typical guy in a sense. And he kind of convinces his wife that somehow it's biblical and holy. And the 19-year-old also is convinced that it's biblical and holy. Right. I feel like this is like the bottom of the slippery slope that kind of like mm. starts with what yeah. you were saying, male dominance thing, and then also just like the twisting of scripture in that like if you come up with an idea and you want to justify it somehow, chances are you can find something that you can just with a little, you know, right twisting in the way you present it or the context you present it in sure. can get it to say whatever you want. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Which, let's yeah. bring some theological thought into here. This is the difference between eisegesis and exegesis. Yeah, getting. I wasn't going to go there. Getting but yeah. meaning out of the text or putting meaning into the text. Right. And this—that's definitely a. This is a prime example of. Oh, I want to do this, so let me put that meaning into this text. Well, I just wonder, like, where's his accountability? Where's his elders? Where, where's the team? Of, where's his team of elders around him? Who else is in his life as a pastor who's saying, "What are you doing?" But it doesn't. It doesn't seem from what I can tell by the article, that any of that is happening. So I agree. There's obviously a lot of a lot of factors in play that lead up to this. It's kind of like whenever you watch a, a show of like about like addiction or or obesity, it's never just the fact that the person is extremely overweight or that they eat too much. It's always something else on top of that. It's the family members who enable it. It's you know it's something it's something it's a it's a uh, a traumatic childhood that leads up to it. There are always other factors than just what you see on the surface. And I feel like it's very similar here. Um, I'm sure that, that there are other factors at play than just, you know, the headline of 61-year-old guy marries another woman who's 19. And he's, oh, by the way, she's also pregnant with his child. And, oh, by the way, his current wife is totally okay with this. Like, there has to be other things in the background that are happening right. that we're just not aware of. But it's it's articles like this that make me, make, make me just kind of... Not embarrassed, but so again aggravated. Uh, yeah. Why? You know, I, I who I think, is? <clears throat> I think you'd be surprised, like how many churches there are out there, though, where the congregation or even even the eldership or the people that might be kind of keeping him accountable to things are um, really not like looking into scripture for things themselves. Like they're really just listening to him preach to them. And his interpretation yeah. of things. Right. And if you have a whole group of people that's been doing that for years, like you have some people that, you know, they've been at this church for 40 years, you know, probably. Probably. I'm just saying, like, there's right. churches out there like that. Right, yes, Where yes. you've had the same people in your church for 40 years, and they've been listening to you for 40 years and your interpretation of Scripture. That's true. So it's going to be hard at that point if you, you know, slowly bringing stuff around. Like, it's going to be hard to see 
that guy's actions for what they really are if well listen you know. listen to what the, the article says here it says tom a former convict turned pastor says that for the most part of his spiritual life he's been interested in polygamy and then it quotes tom here you read through the old testament you hear about all types of men who had more than one wife um, and then it goes on to say that he and Reba entered into a spiritual union at his church in June 2015. And then it quotes him again saying, I know it's my right before God and legally to have a polygamous relationship. This is America. Myself and my wives and our family have the right to live any way we please as long as we're not hurting anybody. So you, you, you can immediately see the theological deficiencies. Yeah, and the and, twisting to make it yes, say what you want it to say. Absolutely. I mean, clear as day. Well, you read about it, so it must be true for today. There's no thought. And that's what kind of scares me Scares me here is that he's a pastor, and that's his. That's how weak his theology is, but people follow him as a pastor. Who knows what, what other views he has that are just surface level, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Well, that's it. Just submit to me. Whatever I say goes. You yeah. know, whatever, whatever kind of twisting of scripture um, as well happens there, it, it just makes me kind of sick to my stomach to think, wow, this guy is pastoring a church and people are giving him money to pastor. Yeah. I think a lot of people do look at the, like, stories in the Bible and they don't realize that they're often stories that, I mean, they always have like a point and they always point towards Jesus and the gospel, but it doesn't mean that everyone in those stories are people that we should hold up as examples Absolutely. for our lives. Like a lot of those old Testament people, like they're presented as part of this story and they were used by God in the story, but that doesn't mean that we should be imitating everything that they've done with right. their well, lives. Look at David. Right. I don't think anyone's advocating that you should take another man's wife, kill the man, and hide it under the rug, even though that's right. what David That one's did. a little bit easier because you saw the direct consequences of his actions and the prophet coming to tell him, oh, that was wrong, and your son's going to die. Hmm. Um, you don't always see that through the Old Testament. You know, you don't always that's see true. the consequences of, of Abraham's you know, multiple wives or yeah, you know, other people. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, Rob, anything you want to add to that? Um. I had a thought, but it left the station without me. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it there then. So that is, I think, installment number three or four now of Christians in the News. Um, I got to start finding more positive stories. I know they're out there. But <laughs> next next podcast, I'm determined to find everyone a positive Christian in the News story. Next week, I couldn't find one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hopeless. There was no hope. So um, anyway, all right, let's 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 go ahead and move on because we're already almost halfway into our podcast. We haven't even gotten into our main meat. I want to talk about today the topic of Christian dating, which is a humongous topic, which is typical me because I am such a big picture thinker. But I've been thinking about that a lot because... You know, I was single for seven years, then Sarah and I have been dating, now we're engaged. So I am starting to come on the other side of of, of the looking glass, so to speak, where I kind of was on one side of it for a lot of years. I had a lot of thoughts around it. Um, now I'm I'm transitioning into onto the other side of it, and I've been I've, I feel like my I feel like clarity has come to my mind more than ever, which I'm sure it's only going to grow from there uh, when I enter into marriage and, and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to get your thoughts, especially Rob and Jordan, because you guys grew up I think um, pretty differently overall. But um, you know your views on Christian dating, as far as like. You know, in in especially in the youth group culture, is uh, specifically, which is what I'm thinking about. I feel like Christian dating is either like way under, um, 
like under undertaught almost, or it's like way it's taken way seriously at like eighteen. You know, either like you're finding God's match for you at eighteen years old, or like no one is 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 holding you accountable to dating anyone. It's it's it, there's no in between. There's no there's not much healthy dialogue around what dating could look like as a teenager or someone in your early twenties. It's either like the youth pastor doesn't care at all that you're dating the girl in, in you know in youth group or the youth pastor the youth youth pastor is going, well, is this God's match for you? Or have you prayed about it? Did you get the green light? So what are your thoughts on Christian dating, especially at such a young age? Do you think it's even a good idea as Christians to be dating when you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old? Go. I can say me personally, just looking back on my experience, looking back on the experience of others that I knew, um, I, I am developing stronger and stronger convictions that if you aren't ready to marry, you probably shouldn't be dating. So I guess that's more of a courtship idea type, um, dating with a purpose. Um, but if you're if you're not ready for the outcome of dating, the outcome of dating is either, okay, I'm not going to marry this person, or I am going to marry this person. If you're not ready for either of those outcomes, why are you in the process? And there's a lot of people that are in this process of casual dating – Oh, I just want to have fun. Oh, really? <laughs> Is that what the scripture says? Make sure you have as much fun and uh, you know, hook up with as many girls or guys as you can and at at the end, I'll give you someone really special. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is that dating is not really mentioned in scripture. Like, it's not. It's 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 kind of like a new. In my head, it's not. It's not spoken for or against because it wasn't happening at the time. Like, there. Yeah, I agree. Pa- Paul couldn't foresee that. In the year twenty, you know, fifteen, almost sixteen, in in America, that dating was going to be this huge thing. But it is; it's a humongous thing. It's and it, it's from what I know, it's also quite odd. It's not; it's not an in the history of of humans. It's not a very common thing either. Dating is really a Western, newer idea because for a lot of years, the marriages were always either arranged or they were set up or there were other obligations that you had. You know, I think about, you know, even back in like, you know, the 16, 17, 1800s, you know, kings would, would just kind of trade their daughters almost like like currency for the, for, for better deals and stuff. So, so the idea of two people finding each other and falling in love is not really a common thing till now. But here we are. Disney. Disney did it. <laughs> Happily ever after. Yeah. Well, you know, when Sarah was in India, even now in India, you know, they, they call it um, a love marriage. A love marriage means that you were attracted to each other, then you got married. But most marriages are, they're set up by your parents, and then you get married, and then you learn to fall in love with that person. So going back to dating, though, in the church, so Rob, what you're saying, though, is that in your head, it's not a good idea at all for anyone who's not ready for marriage, financially, emotionally, spiritually, to even try dating at all. Yeah, there's some exceptions, but generally you're just wasting your own time, wasting the other person's time. Um, and if you're not spiritually ready to lead a woman as a guy, then why are you pursuing her hand in marriage? Well, we all know why, Rob. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that is true. There's the, let's not skirt around the issue. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are other reasons why why little boys are attracted to girls. You know, and that comes back to it. You're not you're not uh, mature enough. You're in you're in marriage for your own selfish. Yeah, gain. but but how do you handle that as a church culture when when the dating culture is so prevalent in our society? I mean, in our society, most people. 
assume that you date someone if you really like them you have sex with them if it doesn't work out you just kind of move on like there's you know our culture's view of marriage and sex and dating is not at all in line for the most part with any kind of scriptural backing right but when you have a church who borrows already so much from culture which we do why not dating as well if you can do it in a in a more you know holy way so to speak maybe that's the problem is that we are trying to borrow too much from culture and kind of make culture something, you know, make the, the secular culture out there ex- somehow acceptable to also play out in our church culture when we should be taking more of a stand against, not against that, against that, but like it just that idea of kind of like a counterculture movement, you know, that it doesn't have to, we don't have to take things from our culture and twist them to work in church, you know, we can look directly at scripture and see what it says. And I understand what you're saying. Like scripture doesn't necessarily say you should date or you shouldn't date. Right. Or this is how you do it. Um, and it is something that comes up in our culture a lot, but I think I agree with Rob for the most part, actually. And maybe not that like you need to like be at that point where you can say, well, I could get married tomorrow yeah, kind of thing. But if you can't go into a relationship with that end goal in mind of marriage to that person, then I agree with him that like I don't I don't see much point in that. And I understand like you were asking like so how do we respond to that as a church culture? Yeah, I mean, look, I was seventeen, I was eighteen, I had a girlfriend. Do I regret it? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. You know, like I, yeah, I didn't it. it in one sense, it was a it was a negative thing for sure. Uh, in another sense, it taught me a, a lot about myself and how I respond to things and what that looks like. But I learned, like, with consequence. You know, I, I learned by yeah, by the kind hard of, way. I learned the hard way. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, when, when when my son is seventeen years old, you know, and he likes a girl and he's interested in her, how do I? How do I give him some freedom a little bit to kind of start making decisions, but also give him a safe place to do that with without risking much harm to either him or especially that girl? That's the question I'm thinking about here because I don't I don't know if that if an isolation approach is the best option where I say, well, listen, you just can't date. Like, let me see your bank account. No money, can't pay rent. You're not dating no one. I don't know if that's going to work because. If I was that kid, I probably I would probably still date a girl anyway, in some way, whether it was like an emotional relationship where I was texting someone all the time, where I was sneaking away to do that. So I don't know what the I, I I can't see that what Rob is saying being a practical thing for any 17 year old or 18 year old or 19 year old who's interested in someone because when you're like that and your hormones are raging, like you know, and you're reading you're you're watching these Disney movies and you and you have no clue how to filter these things yet. All you want to do is be that kid in the movie who wins the girl over by running away with her in a sense, you know. So I don't know. I I don't think that that's practical at all. So wouldn't you say that then part of the church stepping in and kind of setting this up is what they should have already been doing in discipleship. So they would learn lessons. Yeah, dating's not in scripture, but we have pretty good examples of that type of scenario. We have it's a little bit different, but you have uh Isaac and Rebecca. You have a girl who was ready, who was able, who was willing. Um go to the book of Ruth and you have Ruth and Boaz. That is a beautiful example of a relationship that's building. 
Boaz was a stable man. He was well-respected in the community. He was an upright and just man. And he saw Ruth, who was working hard in the field, who wasn't taking things for granted, was willing to provide for her mother-in-law, who came forsaking her own people to... And that great quote that is often said on marriage ceremonies, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Like these are the examples of people that went into marriage. And so we we don't have that dating um, scenario in scripture, but we have situations where people were ready to step into marriage. And we have scenarios where people were guided by the spirit because look at the Isaac and Rebecca, the servant was unnamed. Probably the spirit uh, is the indication for us today. Sure. But I mean, so yeah, am I just sitting in my room and praying, oh man, I hope the spirit leads me to Rebecca tonight. Right. No. But what we should be concentrating on is being Isaac or being Boaz, or for a woman, being Rebecca, or being Ruth. Right. We should concentrate on who we are, and then that relationship will naturally flow out. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think that everyone, including myself, especially myself, even knowing that, even knowing the, the truth that no one can complete me, having to learn that truth was still something that I still had to do. You right. know, and when I first started dating Sarah, that was a quick realization that I had to realize was that Sarah can never complete me and fix whatever I think is wrong with me. It's just, it's never going to happen. But before that, you kind of, even though you know it, you almost don't believe it until it happens. Right. So what does that look like though, in our culture when, and I'm, I'm using as a straw man, like the 17, 18 year old. And obviously the older you get, you can still date. I mean, I dated well into my twenties and that's a whole different kind of dating because you're maturing so much. But at that stage in the game, when you're even, let's say 18, 20, 21, when you're in college, how do you, let, 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 let let's take an example. Let's say, you know, this, whatever, let's say you Rob, you know, are 18 and you see a pretty girl, whatever, um, at school and do you do you pursue her at all? Are you allowed to talk to her? If you're interested and she's interested, do you start dating? Or do you say, well, you know what? I'm still in school. I can't afford to have a wife in two years. So even though I'm attracted to you and we get along, we really shouldn't talk to each other in any kind of romantic way at all because I'm just not ready yet. Do you want my honest answer? Yeah. No, well, I, I mean, I'm just saying like, you know, what do you do with that? Because that's what happens is no matter how much we talk in, in, in words of, well, you know, just make yourself a better person. The reality is that at some point when you're probably not ready to get married yet, just due to circumstance, you're going to meet someone that you're attracted to and that's also attracted to you and you're going to want to pursue that in some way. It's going it, to, it's just for most people, it's bound to happen at some point, right? So is, is that a wrong thing to do? I think you need to be – so say you said it was me at 18. I made horrible choices, but that's beside the point. Sure. Um, so you, you have to really be able to – so the fruit of the spirit. You have to be able to practice temperance, self-control. Is this – you have to logically think about – although, I mean, you and I both know and Jordan knows relationships aren't pure logic and you just right. go down a checklist. And, Too bad yep, though, right? One, two, three, four <laughs> – too bad they weren't. <laughs> right. But there are things that you should logically be thinking about. Is this someone that will bring me closer to the Lord? Sure. Yes or no. Right. Is this someone that loves the Lord? Yes or no. And there are logical steps that you should be able to follow. And if you're, if it's those things aren't even lining up, 
then right. you know, okay, this isn't someone I should pursue. Sure. Even though the physical attraction is there. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely want to have a filter for sure. I right. mean, if I if I if I dated every girl I was attracted to and they dated me, I mean, I would have dated like forty five, you know, hundred girls because there are a lot of pretty girls out there, right? So it's not just purely on physical attraction. Um, but there has to be a filter. But when that filter is met, I don't think it's wrong for my son one day to for me to allow her, him to pursue a girl and kind of learn how to do that. You know, but I feel like if if we're if I allow him to do that and I'm not fighting him on doing that, chances are that he'll hopefully come to me when he has questions about you know this A, B, or C, and I can answer that for him as opposed to him feeling feeling like he has to sneak around behind my back, you know, because because I won't let him date. Right, and I don't I don't think it should be. No, you cannot do this. I think it should be taught by parents and by church leaders and by elders and spiritual mentors hey think about this logically because this is one of the biggest one of the biggest decisions you're going to make in your life right and it has potential for to change your life i mean it really does dating someone has potential to really alter your life for good or for bad and the numbers don't lie most you know, younger relationships don't end well. I mean, my first one certainly did not did not end well at all. And I know a long list of people who have the same exact story where, yeah, it was great for the, maybe a couple months or even a year, but at some point it crashed and burned and there was a lot of hurt there and a lot of baggage that I've brought in to, to my relationship with Sarah and that she's brought in from her past relationships for sure. But that experience for me was so key because I, I learned so much about myself in those moments, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I keep thinking about that a lot about, well, when I have a kid one day because I'm, I'm going to and he starts dating, like, what do I do? Because that's such a crazy thought. Like, my parents did a really good job. I don't know how they did it, but it just kind of freaks me out about having my son or, God forbid, my daughter. Oh, my goodness. If my daughter wants to date, it's never going to happen. I'm letting you know right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just never going to happen. Now I'm sorry. You know, I I told a coworker that at work, and I think she thought that I was serious, like that I was gonna, I was going to like chain her to a bed, and she's like, "Don't do that. She'll just push you away." I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, it's just you know, it's a guy thing. You know, we we want to be able to say that our daughter can never get married ever, but one day it's going to happen. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, I as you get older though into dating, Christian dating especially, that's when things for me really start to take shape because. When you are in your mid-20s and you have your own job and you can get married, that's when, to me, Christian dating culture gets really strange because <laughs> I don't know why, but I think guys are scared to ask a girl out on a date in Christian culture, so they ask a girl out to coffee, which is really an incognito date or kind of like a litmus test of, let's see if we really like each other or not. And if we don't, no one gets hurt, you know, as opposed to, I'm interested in you. You want to go out and then risk rejection right there. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Jordan? No, but I think that might be more prevalent in your experience than it is in the whole. Maybe. I don't think so. I don't know, because I've heard of a lot of guys that are more direct about it, and it takes a certain kind of personality for sure to be able to... Maybe I mean I don't do know. That. I was talking to my friend. I couldn't, but <laughs> I was talking to a girl the other day, uh, Kelsey. You know Kelsey, and she was saying how this guy asked her out to lunch. You know, but it was totally. You know, after she was putting all the pieces together, it was totally clearly like he might have been interested, but didn't really know yet. You know, so he didn't pay for for her her meal, and she was like, "Well, it wasn't a date." I said, "Okay, well, even if it wasn't, that doesn't mean that he's still not interested. He might have been, but maybe he didn't want to freak you out because you know girls can overreact sometimes, and when that happens, never. When that happens." 
it's game over for a guy. Once a girl realizes that a friend of hers is going from friend zone to maybe more than that, and she doesn't want that, all bets are off, and then you're really in trouble. So I can understand the I can understand the guy plight of you know well, I don't want to I don't want to rock the boat and make the bird fly away. I got to be you know kind of <laughs> stealthy on this, and hopefully one day she realizes oh he's been here all along. But the problem with that is that that's like a Disney movie that never really happens. So yeah, right? Yeah, and it is weird. Like you said, <laughs> it's oh, weird and tricky, and oh everybody's different. It is weird and, and tricky. It's so weird. I think, I think the maybe one of the prevalent things that Christian twenty somethings could do better when it comes to dating is just to communicate more clearly. Yeah. Not that that means you have to walk up to somebody you just met <laughs> and say, "I'm interested in you. Do you want to go out with me?" Right. But you know, like as that's starting to develop, like I asked you out to coffee. Here we are at coffee. Right. How about now? I'm a little bit more right. open with you well, about that really, that really, why I asked you to coffee. That really comes down to the guy. Like I, nothing bugs me more than when a good friend of mine, like Kelsey or someone else, will say, "Yeah, this guy I can't tell if he likes me or not." We went out. We went out on coffee on coffee dates four or five times. She won't say anything about us though. I'm like, well, and, she, and then they'll go, "Well, should I say something?" It's like, no, no. If he's not man enough just to be forthright with you and pursue like he should. Then you don't, you know, don't don't put yourself in that situation. Don't make him make you make the first move. You should let him pursue you and be honest with you. Yeah, and I I think part of that is losing the sense of uh, of like manliness and like what you were saying, losing that sense of pursuing, and that's something that is being lost in our culture because of the influence of oh my goodness the yeah. culture because of the influence of. Well, say at feminism. Think it, well, that that's part of it. But I think social media and text messages have allowed men to hide behind those oh, things. Yeah. Like if you, yeah. you know, it's so easy to text a girl, you know, every now and then and kind of keep that conversation going. But it's so dangerous because you really can't get to know any human over text messaging. Let's uh, let me just say that really clearly. If you're a dude out there and you're talking to a girl over text messaging more than any other median, you really don't know her. I promise. Because what happens is that you start interpreting these text messages in the tone that you want to hear. Right. So so she might say, hey, and in your head it might be, hey. In her head it might be, hey. But you're never going to know until you hear her. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I know. Or a smiley face. Does that mean like smiley face, I like you? Or smiley face, like, yeah, I'm just being what a nice person. What if it's winking? Oh, my gosh. What, what stop if the she winky accidentally face. hit the winky face, then meaning to hit the Then you're really Because she wasn't trouble. wearing her glasses. Oh, my gosh. She's not wearing glasses. Exactly. But, you know, but so I agree, Rob, that part of that, to a degree, I would say might be feminism. Um, but I think a bigger part of that is that men, and I, I say this as a man who, who has been this, Many times, men are cowards, and they don't have the gut sometimes to kind of win the beauty. And that's something that – what's that book, Wild at Heart? Wild you know, at he Heart. kind of talks that's about that. Thinking. Yeah, and it, but it's true. You know, that book's a good book, especially when it hits that, that, that note about pursuing a woman because it is intimidating. I mean, girls don't realize that. They think that somehow, like, men have all the power. They – no, we don't. Women have all the power because they are intimidating – as anything, when it comes to pursuing one that you don't know and you don't, you don't know how she feels. So putting yourself out there is not an easy task. And when a guy does, it's a big deal. But it's hard. It's hard. And I think a lot of guys hide behind the Facebook. They hide behind the Facebook messaging. They hide behind the text or, or whatever it is um, to kind of get to know someone instead of just asking that person kind of flat out after a few coffee 
you know, chit chats or dinner, you know, hey, here's what I'm thinking. How do you feel? But at the same time, if I may, on the other token, I don't think girls know how to say, no, I'm not interested because they just feel bad about hurting the guy. Because I've heard countless, countless stories from many female friends of mine who will say, I know he likes me, but I just don't like him. I don't know how to tell him. I'm like, you don't understand. You need to hurt him. Because right. he will heal, but then you're not playing games in his head. Because nothing is worse than not knowing where a girl stands and having that back and forth of she likes me, she doesn't like me, she likes me, she doesn't like me. You'll go nuts. So it definitely is. There's definitely things on both sides of that coin for sure, you know. But I find that a lot of girls don't know how to say those four magic words. I don't like you, without you know feeling yeah. like somehow like like they they shattered this man's heart or something like that, you know. So it, it just uh, I don't know. It's just one of those things for me that. I think because I lived through a lot, and I know a lot of guys have, and a lot of girls have. You think, why are we so awkward at dating in the church? I I don't know why. I think maybe we just take it too seriously sometimes. And and don't don't get me wrong with what I said before. I don't I don't blame guys' issues on feminism. Okay, it's just part of it. Like you were saying, it's a small part of it, but it is part of it. Part of it is. Uh, like we were talking earlier, letting some of the world culture get into the church scene, getting letting some of the world's thoughts get into our thoughts, being like, oh, yeah, I have to date. I am 16, I'm 15, I'm 14, I, ha- I have to date now. Yeah. But like what you were just saying, part of the, the issue is guys have turned their validity from, hey, Christ sees validity in me, he died to save me, to... I need to be validated by this woman. If she doesn't like me, then I'm not a real man. Mm-hmm. And so that's where some of that intimidation comes from is because if she says no, then I'm not who I thought I was. Right. If she says no, then I'm rejected as a person. Yeah. When really it's Christ has already accepted you. Christ has given you a person. Christ has given you your personality. He's He has placed inherent value in you. It's not going to be determined by... Even your wife is not going to de- determine your value. Right. But we have turned it into that, yeah. where relationships are our validation. Relationships are our sense of worth. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's that huge... I mean, that's really a combination, in my opinion, of culture and church, because church puts such a huge emphasis on marriage, which is a good thing. But mm-hmm. as Paul says, it's not for everyone, but I don't think we've realized that yet. You know, I think that when we see someone who's older and single, we think, well, what happened to them? Or yeah. what's are, wrong with them? Are they divorced? Or, you know, oh, I guess they're just too awkward to get married, or they're just too selfish because they can't get along with anyone else. You know, we start thinking all these negative things as opposed to someone having the gift of singleness. But then singles feel kind of left out because church culture is around the family, and it's around nursery and couples' nights. And those things aren't bad. I mean, they're really good. I mean, they're good. I enjoy going out with, with another couple. In fact, Rob, you, you, me, Sarah, and Julia went out a couple nights ago. We had a great time. It was, it was much needed. Right. But I feel like sometimes single people in the church can feel kind of excluded. And then what they start doing is they start overreacting and kind of being like everything is a pity party. Like it's the holiday. Here's how not, here's how not to single shame someone. And that's really a thing, by the way. Single shaming <laughs> is a thing. I didn't even know that. I read some ridiculously stupid article about it where the person felt single shame because she was at a bar and her friend asked her why she's still single. And she goes, oh, 
I was so single shamed. Like, you weren't single shamed. Someone just had a question out of you know out of concern for your well being. Nothing wrong with that question, you know. But it, it, all these like extremes kind of play into this this culture of you're not you're single still and you're 35. Oh, you poor thing. Oh gosh, something's wrong with me. I'm single and I'm 35. As opposed to wow, you know, you should. Be grateful for that freedom and that financial responsibility of not having to provide for a family and having right. you know you don't have to have a house you can live wherever you want. There are there are definitely benefits to being single for sure, but I don't think our church culture realizes all of those just yet. I think that again goes back to what Rob was saying, and I think that's really good about where our identity is. You know where we're finding value in ourselves. You know whether we're looking for Christ to provide that, or whether we're looking for another person to provide that. And I think that definitely goes back all the way when you're younger too, when you are 14, 15, like that's the kind of thing that parents, I say parents first because I think it should be more so the parents than the church, Definitely. but the parents and then the church community should be reinforcing is, you know, where is your identity? What are you pursuing? Like, why is this such a, like, why is this something that you feel like you need so much in your life right now? You know, Are you, you know, finding your purpose and your identity in the right place? And I think that's like, that's kind of the heart of the issue because if people, if, if young people, you know, teenagers were pursuing that, um, that value and that worth from, and that validation from Christ, you know, who is the ultimate giver of that anyway for the rest of their lives, (laughs) um, yeah then I feel like there would be less of a pressure on them. And I've seen people that I feel like we're really doing that. And it's those people that you kind of see and you're like, that person doesn't seem pressured to be dating. You know, they don't seem like that concerns them that much. And you wonder why when everyone else is so concerned with it. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like what are they pursuing? What are they, where are they finding their value and identity? Well, that, that that's a great example of, I mean, I, I think that a lot of the source of, of people wanting to date, especially in the church, is because that's what society says is your validation. You know, when, when you don't believe in a God who made you and created you and validates you, you go to the second best thing, which is another human giving you affection and love and validation. And even though that might work for a time, it's never permanent because at some point that human is going to fail you. Right. But when you have a society that is built on the arts and is built on the movies and on the the drama and on that kind of culture of just, you know, just that, that, that over overuse of love and affection to the point where it always ends on a happy ending and – you know, love always prevails and, you know, the woman comes through at the last time. She runs back saying, I made this terrible mistake, you know, or whatever it is, you know, or the guy wins her over with some crazy plan. And you see that no matter how much you try, no matter how much you know that it's only a show and that it's scripted, your brain still believes it. And it still influences what you expect out of a dating relationship or a wife or a husband. And so then when that wife or husband fails you, which they're going to because they're human, you go, wait a second, this must not be the right one for me because this person wasn't infallible and this person failed me as opposed to working through those hard times as opposed to working through you know what love really is, which is unconditional and all those kinds of things. So there's so many things at play here that when you go back to dating, there are so many expectations put on it. As a Christian, how do you date purely? You know, How do you pursue someone and, and not cross certain boundaries? Or how do you pursue someone and make it 
you know, make it clear, but that person understand, okay, I'll allow you to do this, but you know, we'll see what happens because I think you can do that. And that's something that I learned later on in my twenties was that you can definitely go on a date with someone and not cross any boundary and simply get to know someone well to kind of find out if this is something that you're really compatible with without hurting someone. It's possible if you communicate right. And that happened to me with several different people who I took out on a date or I pursued for a little bit and it turned out it wasn't really the best move, but there was there was no physical line crossed, there was no emotional line crossed. So we were able to end on a purely good note and understand that, you know what, we just weren't compatible in that way. Yeah, I remember thoughts like right before I actually met Julia was kind of the turning point for me and I just remember having thoughts of like um, where if if what I'm doing with this woman yeah is someone else's wife is he going to be happy with it and I thought that same thing when I met Julia like if I knew if all of the people that she's had relationships with, if they knew that they weren't going to be their husband and they would have to answer to me someday, would that would they have changed how they how they did things? Right. And it was kind of a, a really heavy punch in my face was going back over all of my years and saying, man, there was a lot of girls that I was romantic with i was physical with that i really wish i wasn't Mm -hmm. because that wasn't my wife right and i you can't take those steps back but if i could i would pass that knowledge on to future generations and say look Learn from my mistakes. I know you're not going to, but right. listen to right. my words. Because I, I didn't learn from it. I know that you're not going to learn either, but just so but you're warned now. that you shouldn't try. Right, absolutely. You know? <laughs> no, that's totally true. And uh, we're almost out of time for this part because I want to continue the conversation maybe next week. I want to head into you know, just that sexual purity aspect of it because that's a huge thing that um, is, is, I think, a part of that dating culture in the church where, again, there's just so much pressure of – um, either we can't we can't even like hold hands or oh yeah it's it's just sex you know like we're 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 always on on either extreme I feel like where it's like well who's who are you accountable to and uh, are you making sure that you're not even looking at each other the wrong way or it's oh yeah no we're definitely good Christian people but you know sex yeah it it, it is what it is it's it's just a common thing that we that we want to do there's no harm in it it's 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 very rarely is it like a in my opinion a healthy perspective right and and that really comes out of of. I think for me, what I learned is that one thing that that my church experience was really lacking that I I wish I, I knew was that sex was not going to solve my problems. And when 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 the church tells you that sex is this, is this amazing thing that you have to wait for and it's so good and you, it's going to blow your mind, you have no idea. You start kind of almost idolizing just sex, and you're like, "Well, I just want to get married so I can have sex because sex is, is is this amazing thing." And then when you combine that with the porn culture that we're in, it is a deadly concoction of, "Oh, sex must be like this, and I haven't had it yet, so it must be like that. So I have to get married so I can do it because if I don't do it, well, if if I do it before I'm married, then I'm in sin. So I gotta get married, and it becomes like this huge just conundrum and this storm, this perfect storm of 
of just really bad decisions um, that are made. But I do want to stop there because, and I continue this because we're we're at the hour, we're, we're at the hour mark. I know, I know. There's so, we have touched, we we're tipping, or I'm sorry, we're touching the tip of the iceberg here. Um, so this is a good part one because I want to head into yeah, that, the other side of thing, uh, uh, side of things, and then we can get into marriage maybe in episode three or four or ten if we ever get there. You a know, series, but a series. It just kind of happens. Ooh. So yeah, absolutely. So. Um, anyway, well, guys, that was a good episode for sure. Um, we're going to pick up where we nah. left off next week. Um, I, I want to hit – yeah, I think we should definitely t- go more in depth about just that dating seriousness almost and kind of like the the church expectations. But when you combine that with the culture – with the, with the cultural like uh, just norm, it just really doesn't mix well. you know. So cool, guys. Well, that was a good episode. That was good. Time flew by as always. And the coffee, I almost finished it. It's still pretty bitter. Somehow. Though. It's one yeah. of those ones where you like just keep drinking because you're not thinking about it. Exactly. Well, like, Ugh. well, I had, Ugh. I had this. You, you, my listeners or the listeners can't see this, but I have this humongous candy cane in my hand that is yeah. like jumbo jumbo size. It looks normal in your hand, though. And, well, thank you very much. So I've been like, you know, I've been eating it. Um, but the first time I had some of the candy cane and then had the coffee, it was such a terrible taste. <laughs> it was it was revolting. So I learned my lesson. French roasts and candy canes do not go well together. So. Anyway, well, that's another episode in the books. Uh, if you like us, Rob, where can you find us? Uh, you can find us on our website, coffeetheologyandjesus.com. Boom, we're official. You can, follow, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Wow. Please do that. Yeah. Then rate us and then comment. Oh, my. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> trifecta. Yes, and please share the podcast. If you like what you heard, that'd be awesome. Uh, we will catch you guys next week. Have a great New Year because New Year's is coming up in just a few days. Um, and we will talk to you guys in the New Year. All right, thanks, guys. All right.